Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelican. And the date is May 24th, 2019. And tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and doing kind of a review of Endgame and the entire saga uh, now that it is complete. So, Frank, um, <clears throat> you've been a comic book fan for a long time, right? Yeah, my whole life, really. Yeah. Mostly Marvel or Marvel DC? Like uh, When I was a kid, it was on... Well, I don't know. When I was a kid, it was whatever somebody would buy me. Um... When I became like a preteen, early teenager, uh, mostly X Men. Honestly, like I was really into the X Men from the ages of like probably eight or nine through like my teenage years. Um, kind of moved into like the more, I don't know, like mature audience indie style stuff. So like the Vertigo series, so the Hellblazer and Sandman and Preacher. Um, and a bunch of like indie stuff like, uh, <clears throat> Scud and Flaming Carrot and, um, like stuff by Warren Ellis. Um, all these creators usually from the UK that were more independent. I'm really big fan of most of the Sin City stuff up to a certain point. Um, and I kind of stopped reading comics for a while, like after my early twenties, uh, just because kind of inconvenient to go to the comic book store and life sort of like got in the way. Um, but still kind of followed like storylines and whatnot. And honestly, like I found them to be kind of ridiculous for a while too. <clears throat> um, in the past, maybe like five years, I've kind of picked back up on some things that I read occasionally. Um, if I see that there's like a, like critically acclaimed run of a creator on something, I'll read it. Um, but for the most part, you know, the movies have kind of taken the place of that in a lot of ways for me. Although all the stuff in the movies is more or less based on the storylines from my childhood like the late seventies through the early nineties. Right. So when this first started in 2008, mm -hmm. what did you, what did you think about it? And did you imagine that it would ever be what it became? No, I actually remember sitting at work and having a conversation with one of my peers um, after incredible Hulk could come out. Cause we, you know, we all liked Iron Man, thought Iron Man was a good movie. Um, but at that point, your frame of reference is more like what came before it. So the X-Men movies, um, the Raimi Spider-Man movies, the various like terrible standalone Marvel movies that would come out on occasion. <clears throat> so not really a lot of confidence that they would be able to pull it off, especially after Hulk, because we had talked about, you know, the fact that the end scenes and both of those, like the post credit scenes involve Fury kind of talking about this Avengers initiative. Um, so honestly, I didn't believe it until Avengers was in production. Um, and even once Avengers came out, it kind of felt like, well, how can they maintain this level of production with like this many stars at that point? Cause all those movies, especially Captain America had made so much money. True. Um, so you knew that they had to be super expensive for them to produce the movies. Um, really it's, it's more towards... Honestly, the end of, I guess, what you would call Phase 2 with Age of Ultron, mm -hmm. where you really start to understand that they might actually be able to <clears throat> bring everything to fruition. Um, and even at that point, I had no idea how they would integrate, like, because I think, I think Guardians is in Phase 2 before Age of Ultron, right? Yes, it is. Yep. <clears throat> so, it still feels, I don't know, like... 
I think it really is the transition from Whedon to the Russo brothers mm-hmm. that lets you think, because that's when, number one, I think that's when the movies like really find a definitive voice that kind of carries across all the movies, mm-hmm. even though like the Russos only direct the Avengers movies. Um, number one, you don't have, you're not bogged down by <clears throat> any kind of real, like, I don't know, like origin stories anymore. Everything flows from one movie to another much smoother. Um, one of the things I think is kind of a, I don't know, like a failing of some of the first movies is a sense of disconnect in that universe where it doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like anything's taking place in the same universe. Right. And I think part of that comes from the fact that Guardians is so far removed from everything involving like Earth, um, aside from the fact of, you know, um, Star-Lord's origin. Um, Captain America mostly takes place in the past, so that's, like, really disconnected. Thor, aside from, like, the Hawkeye connection and Coulson, I suppose, eventually, like, feels disconnected. Sure. Um, but once you get past Age of Ultron, like, when they're all together again, like, every movie after that really feels like a connected piece of a shared universe. Mm -hmm. And over the past, what is that now, like, five years, I guess? Four years since Ultron? Um... It really, like, just a really impressive, you know, like, string of movies. <clears throat> All of which are, are good, I'd say. Good to, mm-hmm. good to really good. Yeah. Some of them, like, I, I, I think a few of those movies are actually, like, on par with almost anything I've seen in the past, like, 15 years or so. Especially mm-hmm. in terms of a big budget movie. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. So... Let's just go to Endgame first, and then we'll kind of maybe move backwards as we talk okay. about, like, the universe itself. So, Endgame ends up being this, what is it, 22 films, is this 22nd film out of this entire thing, and ends up being, like, the finale, as a finale of trying to wrap up, well, first of all, what did you think about Endgame, like, overall, like, your general <sighs> thoughts, and I'll ask you some specific questions, I suppose. I, I found Endgame to be one of my favorite of the entire 22 films. Yeah. Um, definitely in my top five. Uh, I think it's a pretty fantastic swan song for, number one, the best villain that's been in the Marvel Universe yet in Thanos. Um, a good culmination to his, like, you know, mini arc. <clears throat> Basically from Guardians 1, where he's kind of like the shadowy character, like, throughout like the rest right. of those movies where you can see his influence and things. Yeah. Um I thought it was a pretty brilliant ending to Captain America's story. A way that you let Captain America still be a hero. Um and simultaneously live a life that he probably deserved to have lived in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's a fantastic culmination to Robert Downey Jr.'s role as Tony Stark, you know, Iron Man. Um again letting him make that ultimate sacrifice that he always seemed to be trying to make the entire time anyway by taking everything onto himself. Um, I love the fact that it, like, gives Thor a sense of purpose again, you know, makes him, lets him move on into the next phase of films, the next saga, I guess as they call it, um, while still being, like, an integral part. Um, there's very little in the movie that I disliked. Honestly, I don't know if there's anything I disliked at all, like, where I actively thought, like, man, that's a really bad decision. Um, 
there's a couple things that kind of, I guess, <clears throat> I don't know. In all of these movies, there's always something small where I kind of roll my eyes and think like, okay, like there was no need to be that fan servicey or, um, you don't need to force a joke here. Usually well, is what happens yeah. in, in this movie specifically. It's the scene. So you have Captain Marvel who's introduced in the previous Marvel movie, you know, her like eponymous movie come to earth. You know, she destroys Thanos' ship. She's shown as being like this most powerful being out of all the heroes. Um, Thanos obviously like unnerved by her presence there because she's so powerful. Um, comes down, saves Peter Parker, who's trying to move the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, so they can destroy it or send it into whatever it is, the microverse or whatever they call it. Um, and then there's just this weird, all the female characters gather together around Captain Marvel <clears throat> to sort of like force the gauntlet out. And it doesn't really make any sense, like narrative wise from what's happening like throughout the entire movie where everyone is spread all over this like tremendous battle and i understand it from the viewpoint that they really are like i really praise marvel for trying to be inclusive of like you know everyone like they want you know genders creeds religions whatever <clears throat> races and they want to like make everyone a part of this shared universe but it's like forcing it like that just kind of feels Especially because Captain Marvel, like, ultimately is carrying the gauntlet. And then just gets the shit knocked out of her by Thanos. And it's the three dudes that have to save the day in the end. And look, that's completely fitting. Like, for all three of them, you know, for Hawkeye, for Scarlet, or, um, Scarlet Witch. Freaking, uh, Black Widow. Black Widow. Like, all of them have good ends to their arcs. It's a good way to, like, send off this core group of people that have been with you. But it feels unnecessary to get to that point just for this, like, fan service female empowerment moment when there's nothing that hasn't been, like... Like, Marvel's done a great job, I think, of making female characters seem powerful and seem important. You know, Scarlet Witch seems really is really powerful. Um, all the female characters in Black Panther are powerful individuals in their own right. You know, they stand side by side with, with T'Challa as opposed to being like servants or girlfriends or, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so Marvel's already set the stage that like, you understand the Wasp is like a badass in Ant-Man versus Wasp and is an equal character. And sometimes like more of the star of that movie than, you know, Paul Rudd. <clears throat> so I don't know that like, it, it feels almost condescending to me. That it's like, oh, here's your little, like, nugget that, you know, we're throwing this in, you know, as a nod to our female fans. But, like, it's already there. Like, you don't need to do that. And it right. just felt shoehorned in. And I actually read an interview with the Russos where they said that they actually considered that when they watched it. But they felt that it was, like, quote, unquote, like, too cool of a scene to let go. So they even understood that what they were doing was in some ways, like, kind of, like, pandering. But they still did it anyway. And I just don't think... I think that if you're going to acknowledge that everyone, if you really want to bring equality, like that's what you want is inclusiveness. You kind of just have to acknowledge that everybody's equal without like pushing somebody being, I don't know, more powerful or more central than others. And it is the end of it's, it's the story of the original Avengers. It's a story of them overcoming this greatest threat and most of them succumbing, you know, to 
<clears throat> age or whatever. Like That's the thing I liked about it probably most in terms of an ending, a climax to that overall story, is that it stayed focused on the Avengers as the primary actor still, despite all the introduction of all these right. new characters through the t- through time. But those characters are going to continue, right. so we just get the endings of those specific like five, six characters. Because you've, you've now established mm-hmm. that Black Panther can carry his own movie. Like, obviously, because it's so successful. And Spider-Man can carry his own movie. And you'll have other people that you can introduce. You know, Doctor Strange was in a movie that did really well. And those characters can still, like, continue into a new Avengers saga. But this is paying homage to these, like, actors and characters that have buoyed this universe for Mm -hmm. however many years it's been. Like, 11 years or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, almost, almost 12 years. And, you know, I really thought it was a fitting end to it. I thought there was the right, exact right balance of humor and poignancy. Um, I like the fact that it, it almost feels like two movies in a lot of ways, but not in like a disconnected way. Like you have that almost like heist caper of getting the Infinity Gauntlet like getting the stones again through traveling through time, which has a lot of really great moments in it. You know, like Captain America doing the Hail Hydra in the elevator, I thought was a great nod. Mm-hmm. Um, Loki, like immediately grabbing the Tesseract and disappearing into an alternate universe, I thought was pretty cool. Um, all the small things with, you know, Tony getting to talk to his dad and Steve getting to see, um, what's her name, uh, Peggy, and yeah. um, Thor getting to talk to his mom again. Like, that's all really great stuff. And then carries into, you know, Hulk bringing everybody back and then them able to, like, Thanos bringing the fight to them and them having that climactic battle. Mm. Um, I also thought the ending was a little maudlin, like, the Tony Stark funeral scene with, like, throwing these random people in that I had to, like, read to figure out who some of those people were. Like, there's a kid that's there and I had no idea who that kid was. Mm -hmm. Um... And I hadn't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp yet, so I thought, well, maybe that's somebody from that mm-hmm. for some reason. And it turns out that it's the kid that Tony Stark talks to in, like, a hallway in yeah. Age of Ultron, maybe, or something like yeah. that, that he's, like, grown up now. And, right. like, that's cool, but how do I know that the kid in his garage or whatever. I can't remember what that scene was, but I, I, I remember what you're talking yeah. about. I didn't know that when I watched it either. I just, just as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember now. There's a scene where he talks to some young kid. But I thought, you know, for his, like, and you and I kind of disagree about Black Widow as a character, but, you know, for his, like, almost, like, tragic as Black Widow's, like, arc is, like, it's good for her to sacrifice herself to, oh sure like, save everyone, and it's incredibly tragic for Hawkeye to see, like, his best friend die like that, but... It was incredibly fitting, because it was a fairly pointless character with a... (laughs) That... I thought it was pretty fitting for a character overall is just to sacrifice herself because I feel that that character ended up being sacrificed a lot, honestly. Like <laughs> one of my one of my essays that I've let students write for years, like the first essay, they always have a prompt and I, you know this, uh, that one of them is about women in film and stuff like that. And <laughs> it's based off of a article from years ago before Wonder Woman came out about like the need for female superheroes and so I, I talk about that with different students, mostly women, a lot, um, female students, a lot about the idea of do we need more female superheroes and how are women portrayed now versus 10 years ago. And right. um, 
some of them see Black Widow as a really positive example of women, and I've just never held to that. Like, in a lot of ways, she's still this damsel in distress often. She gets pushed over in terms of dialogue and screen time a lot in that series. It always feels like she needs rescue. Like, the first Avengers movie, it's like her only role really in it, honestly, was the idea that Hawk chased her around and she had to avoid him and she had to be saved. That's her big, really big moment in Avengers, honestly. It's like some of the most screen time she gets. And I just felt that Scarlett Johansson's performance, too, didn't really do anything to elevate that character. So ultimately, I think it's fine. I just don't think it's as... So, okay. What you're saying is not, like, untrue but i look at it differently kind of so hawkeye and scarlet or in scarlet which i always want to say that and mm-hmm. black widow are your proxy in the movie like obviously much sure. more talented and athletic yeah. and you know skilled than you are but they're the normal person that's walking amongst like these gods which has always been Right. A prevalent theme in early Marvel comics and throughout, like, mm-hmm. my life of reading comics is always, yeah. how does the everyday man interact with, you know, this person that can, like, split the earth in half with their power? Sure. And I, like, I don't think that, I, I think that Johansson plays the performance with a certain, almost like deadpan in the way mm-hmm. that she delivers lines. And I think the reason for that is because you're supposed to understand that Black Widow's had such a, like a, like traumatic life in being raised as an assassin and used by a lot of people and she doesn't really trust people easily. But I think there's some really good moments, like the moment with um, her and Steve Rogers, you know, sharing the peanut butter sandwich or whatever. Oh, that was the, that event, Endgame, was the best part she had in the entire saga. I thought she actually seemed world-weary. She seemed exhausted. She seemed... She actually had a personality. I I like her a lot. I didn't think she had any personality in hardly any of those movies. I I like her a lot in Ultron, too, with her interactions with Bruce Banner. Mm. Like, I think that that, that's another thing that leads me to, like, have whatever that hypothesis you're supposed to feel, that she's kind of this guarded, tragic character, is that she identifies with this guy who's sort of has a monster trapped inside himself and they form that bond. Um, and I like her in winter soldier. Like I know you're not a big fan of winter soldier. Um, but I like her in that, but anyway, back to that game. So, you know, infinity war is such an ambitious movie that it, it almost felt like I was a little nervous going into Endgame. Like how do they, how do you maintain that momentum that comes from the snap at the end of infinity war? Like just, like the gut punch that the last like 15 minutes of that movie is and i think they do a great job i think they they resolve it they explain the aftermath relatively fast without a whole lot of like excessive you know maudlin scenes or dialogue they move immediately into the solution which gives them all a lot of good screen time and a lot of like fun interactions um and then they move into the you know, latter third of the movie, which is the climactic battle after everybody comes back. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just really well done. Um, and definitely like one of the most amazing feats of 
you're always afraid that like with big studio movies that studio interference is going to cause things to collapse you know there's so many instances where a movie sounds like it's going to be really good and then it kind of collapses under its own weight or a studio gets way too greedy and they just start trying to push off crap just because they can like the hobbit movies are a good example of that and you know, both of us are not fans, really, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But when you watch those, the first three movies, like, there's... Yeah, the film trilogy, yes. Right, the film trilogy. Yes. It's, as much as I dislike a lot of the narrative changes in that, it yeah. still is an incredibly impressive feat of filmmaking for them to film those three movies. Sure. And it was, it's fine. I get it's your like point. I get your point. An encapsulated right. thing. And then it just, like, falls apart with this extra series you know of taking a 200 page book and trying to expand it into nine hours of film which is just it's garbage sure um and there's almost it's almost an impressive amount of restraint that marvel really hasn't put out a whole lot of shitty movies like everything again everything from really guardians one on but really from age of ultron specifically make has a purpose makes sense ranges from good to great and culminates every single one of those stories in this one film and right. i don't know just really really impressive did you think any characters were shorted at all in endgame only in the sense that like you have certain characters that are powerful that you're sacrificing screen time for Tony, for Steve, for Thor, mm. you know, for Hawkeye and Black Widow. Did you think any of them were egregious? No, because ever. I think that you'll carry those all into, you know, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, um, the Guardians will all carry on and get to have like much, like not much larger, but their own adventures like leading into this next saga of films. And I think that's fine. You know, because these movies have been about the same characters for 11 years or whatever. The first Avengers came out, so seven years ago, eight mm-hmm. years ago. And this was a fitting conclusion. I mean, we're going to see a Spider-Man movie in less than two months from now. So sure. that that in and of itself, and that movie looks fantastic. That in and of itself, you know, is enough of Spider-Man. And also there's other characters, like thematically. Doctor Strange, you know, plays a good role in this movie. Doesn't necessarily fit in with the storyline. This is not Doctor Strange's story. You know, I, I love the fact that they gave um, Ant-Man a large role in it. Um, yeah, me too. But this, you know, Ant-Man will have other adventures and will be able to be like an Avenger. Right. And as part of his arc of like growing, like just the... Um, Scott, whatever his name is, that character, like, growing as a person, like, that's a good part of his arc. Yeah. You know, but you don't need to show Captain Marvel more than you show her because she's, like, a plot device in this movie. Mm. And that's all she needs to be. And you don't need to see the Wakandans any more than you do because there will be the other Black Panther movie where they can be the central focus. And overall, I thought they were still pretty well represented. Right. They have their overall, own scenes. Yeah. Every character that matters does something that matters. Yeah. In this movie. So right. everybody has one or two things they do where they have their moment where they're the central character on the screen. They get to do something cool and fitting. Mm-hmm. They get to contribute to the overall victory. But you still don't ever take the focus off the characters that the movie's actually about. Which I really yeah. like. And the Guardians are represented too by the fact that Rocket is one of the 
few that survives the snap and right. is there in the beginning of oh, the movie. Oh, and um, Nebula, that's one of my favorite performances yeah. in the film. Like, So there's an example of a female character that's just a great character without it being a focus that she's a woman. And I love that. Like, you know that Nebula's a woman, but they don't need to, like, continuously hammer you over the head with the fact that, like, hey, we're putting a female character front and center. It's just, like, she's just great. Like, that's yeah. a great performance by, um... Karen Gillan. Amy Pond or Gillian, yeah. yeah. Karen Gillan. I was just laughing because, um... It's like somebody can misinterpret or twist the idea that it's like your favorite female portrayal is a cyborg, basically. <clears throat> Maybe. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think that she shows more humanity. Uh, agreed. I was just... <laughs> <clears throat> just on the surface level, I thought right. it was funny. I like Gamora a lot, too. I wish Gamora had been in the movie more. I mean, I know she's dead, but... Sure. Yeah, I really like that character a lot, too. So, I love um, Evangelina Lily's Wasp. I think that's a fantastic character. Better, sure. Yeah, I mean, when you compare it to Kate from Lost, I mean, I, I think anything that she did would be better to some degree. But I just mean as a character. Okay. I, I always i I don't know. I don't have the same Kate hate that you have, but really, yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure. You, I'm pretty sure you. you I watched you did Lost, at one point. In your life. I watched Lost again with Frankie a few years ago. Like we watched uh-huh. it start to finish. Right. And I find that knowing everything in advance, yeah. I don't mind the Kate stuff as much as I did when we were watching it. Hmm. Because, okay, so not to completely derail, but <clears throat> the Kate episodes always felt like such like a weird, unnecessary break in the overall narrative of Lost every time they happened. Uh-huh. I felt that way about some of the Jack episodes, too. It's like, okay, like we get it that these are the characters you want us to like love the most, but like you're just like breaking up. Like the jacket and the tattoos in the Philippines or whatever. Like that episode. Well, that episode's the worst in the series, right. possibly for flashbacks. But but the Kate stuff, once you understand everything, like they're not nearly as... When we were watching it week to week and it's like, oh my God, this is what we're getting this week. Very annoying. Because a lot of them aren't very well done. But they're like not. in the overall, when you're just watching them like back to back to back, they really don't break it up that I bad. feel like there's like eight of them that has that damn toy airplane like in the flashback it, let's move on right uh, so what do you think the now looking at it as a series and then i'll drill down into some of the movies specifically what do you think the maybe you've answered this but it's like what do you think the best aspects of it as a saga are like all three phases so removing <laughs> the fact that you change who the hawk is which mm-hmm. is understandable considering that's their second movie. Right. And you changed the guy playing um, Randy Rhodes, you know, from... Right. Um, Terrence Howard. Yeah, to... Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle. Right. The fact that you had so many actors consistently play the same characters for 11 years of their lives. Yeah. And not all of them. But, you know, like keeping that group of people together and consistent is just amazing. And... The fact that they honestly were able to control it so much that they have like a true narrative thread. I honestly, I really feel like they decided what they were going to do when Guardians of the Galaxy was in pre-production. Like that's when they figured out this is our ultimate goal is to make this movie. Mm -hmm. And starting there, the fact that that narrative thread like continues and is important 
to a certain extent in every single movie that comes after it is pretty amazing that they're able to do that and make it good. I mean, again, like starting with Guardians, there's really not a bad movie. I don't think after that. Yeah. Like all the stuff that's not really great comes before that. And Guardians just kind of like starts it and then it just carries through. And some of my favorite movies in the series are after that too. And I, it's just, it's really. And it's, and it's the largest phase, the third phase. Yeah. I mean, if you count from Guardians on, it's uh, 13 movies. Yeah. It's half the series. It's more, more than, than half, half the series. Right. Yeah. And really impressive that um, not only that you're able to maintain that narrative, but that the quality is just so high out of all those movies. Like that you can sit there and watch, you know, and be entertained as standalone films and be entertained in the overall importance that they have in the series, you know, and they all tell individual stories. Like none of them are just serviced to the larger plot. They all tell a self-contained story. It's like the best like TV arcs almost. It's almost like watching like a really great series of television, like this great season or something Mm -hmm. where you have like, like the Buffy formula or the X-Files formula where you have like a monster of the week episode, but then there's still a stuff that, carries through to the, the big the, bad and all that right stuff. and yeah. that's what this is like right. except it's like two to three hour movies over the sure. course of you yeah. know five or six years and that's pretty impressive yeah no absolutely and honestly like no offense to him but i think it's just just sweden leaving that lets yeah. them do that okay so let's get into that I, it's one of the questions i had related to age of ultron but what the hell do you think it really happened with whedon i think that whedon just likes doing tv I yeah. don't think he wants to necessarily make movies unless the movies serve the purpose of like a series that he's doing. Yeah. Um, I think that he's best at television. Yeah. Um, I think that he was more interested in doing like a week to week like series that he could really develop characters over the course of, you know, a 22 hour season or however long a season lasts, like 18 and a half hours or whatever. Instead of, like, having to do these encapsulated films every, like, two to three years. Um, See, that's the thing, though, is I think, like, I think he sets up for this series. Maybe Russo's and others take it to different heights. But he sets up the core of this series. I mean, he nails Avengers. Like, the first one? Right. But in hindsight... Like, in terms of, like, the character interactions and, like, those sure. kind of things. Like, I mean, he absolutely nails that. And, and he's sets great up at that. Those dynamics, right, that ensemble, you know, casting and dialogue. But and, here's my complaint about the Avengers. And I still really like the Avengers. I haven't yeah. seen the Avengers probably in, like, three or four years. I, I still think yeah. the Avengers is a good movie. Uh-huh. It's a lame-ass villain. Sure. Just lame. Like, and that's that's one of the, my biggest complaints about pre-Guardians Marvel movies is that none of the villains matter. And that even is a complaint in, like, a couple of the post-Guardians, like the Phase Mm -hmm. 3 movies. But it's particularly bad early on in the Marvel movies where the villains are just, like, you don't feel like there's any real threat. Mm. Like, when the Chitauri come to Earth and they're fighting them, they're really only fighting them in New York. I mean, like, there's no, like, global threat that these guys, it's like, and they generally handle it in the span of, what, 20 minutes of that movie? Right. So your threat, the threat just isn't even that great, yeah. you know, and like... No, I agree. Yeah. Red Skull, who's one of my favorite villains of all time, you know, in um, Captain America, in the first Captain America movie, the first Avenger, 
doesn't really feel like that great of a threat. Like, it's a very mm-hmm. small... Like, all the threats early on are very small and don't feel like it's even that difficult for the heroes. Even if the heroes suffer, like, losses or, you know, seem like they're overwhelmed at times. Like, they're generally wrapped up nice and neat and tidy and there's nothing really that carries over. And it's not until later where you really feel like... Like, Hela in Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok... Mm-hmm is such a great villain and so powerful. And it makes Thor getting his, like, like basically getting his, his power and his confidence and all that stuff back and like rallying everyone makes it so much more powerful. And you just, I just don't feel that way about, you know, the first Avengers. And I think that's part of the problem of the pre like MCU saga one, whatever the infinity saga you want to call it. Marvel movies is that none of them feel like that, you know, like none of them understand how to do a villain well. Sure. I, I think from making all those characters interact, which ends up becoming a big part of the MCU is putting different characters together and having them interact. I think he establishes that really, that aspect of it really well. I agree with you on the villain, but to me, the different like age of Ultron falls the fuck apart like i it's definitely the worst avengers movie right and i would rank it if it were me pretty low in terms of all the movies overall yeah it's 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 towards the bottom in terms of what i enjoy i i felt like age of ultron was a slog yes like after that really great opening scene like it feels like a long movie mm-hmm. until you actually get to anything that matters right and even the end it's just way, it's way, way too much CGI over the really great character interactions that, like, that's why Infinity War and Endgame, and even Civil War, in a lot of ways, are such, so much better as Avengers movies, because it really is more about the interactions of the characters and them building to, like, fighting this greater threat. I mean, I love Civil War. Civil War is one of my favorites. Sure. Yeah, Marvel movies overall. Um, Have you read read Whedon's comics ever? Mm. Like when he's done things like X Men and yes, I think I read his original X Men run. Yeah, I don't really like it very much. Yeah. I don't necessarily like his take on comic characters. Like I think Whedon is fine. I think he builds up to really good moments a lot of times, but getting to those moments are problematic and it it just I thought of that because of what you just said about Ultron being a slog. Yeah. It's like I thought there were good moments in Ultron, right. but ultimately like getting to those moments felt really forced and plotting. It's another thing too where and like I just wonder if it's more of his comic book writing style coming out. Maybe. And the other thing too is that I don't know that he necessarily I think he's very good at, like, the interaction between people. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, he does it really well in Buffy, like, Fantastic and Firefly. Like, he's good at that. But I don't think he's very good at, like, building up a bad guy when he doesn't have 15 mm-hmm. episodes to yeah. build into that bad guy. Like, Ultron... Ultron's, like, top-tier Marvel villain, basically, in mm-hmm. the comics. And... I don't necessarily think he's that intimidating or scary. I mean, like, 
It's a threat, but it's a threat. Like, you know, I mean, it, they they do that Sokovia Accords or whatever, and it's like right. this, they destroyed this kingdom or whatever. But ultimately, like, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of lame, mm-hmm. I think. And that's not Ultron. Like, Ultron's a much more... I don't know. It's like Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four reboot. You know what I mean? Like, it's a waste of mm-hmm. a great character. Um, not that I even hate Age of Ultron. I just don't think Age of Ultron is that great. Right. I agree. I, I don't hate it at all. It's just... I mean, there's very few of these movies, I would say, that I... I don't even know if I... I hate one of them. Um, I, I, I hate two, and I have a lot of disappointment with the third. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. Um. So, what are some of the downsides of this series to you overall as the saga the biggest downside is what do you do now really mm. i mean and we've talked about like potential threads that they could take you know galactus dr doom um you know they could there's a lot of stuff with guardians that could happen with like the more mystical side the more like cosmic side of the universe um obviously introducing the entire fantastic four x-men um, character base into the universe gives you a lot of opportunity, but they need to be really careful about making sure that every movie they make from this point on matters. Like they don't want to go. I, I really think it's like we were looking, you know, before the podcast at what's actually on the slate upcoming. And there's a Morbius movie with Jared Leto coming out. And that feels like pointless to me, like this kind of minor, spider-man character that you're gonna have a whole movie about like i don't understand the point of that and they're doing the um master of kung fu movie in a couple years and that's another one where it's like you're gonna brand this as a marvel movie but where does that character fit in with any kind of like grander scale of villain that you're gonna do you so know. you see it as there's the potential of them going backwards to that phase one, some of those phase one problems of being completely too disconnected. Honestly, I where see they it as, should, I see it as being po- like pre phase one, mm. like problems, mm. like where that is, that is very problematic. If where if if it's not, you know, you have this base of characters now that people know. Like we know Falcon, you know, we know Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, we know yeah. Ant Man, Black Panther. So, introduce characters, like, if it was me, introduce characters through those sequels that you can then build into their own movies. Characters that you place somewhere in the universe where people recognize them, and then you can, like, move the popular ones into their standalone films. And this just feels like... Like, shots in the dark. Like, people that don't understand... And, you know, in all fairness, like, a lot of these movies were greenlit before they acquired the Fox properties, before they acquired, you know, the um, Sony properties back. So they didn't necessarily know that they were going to have this huge glut of, like, great iconic characters that were getting moved back into their, you know, their purview. So I understand, but start to focus on that. And if you're going to build to it, build with a purpose. Like, don't let yourself spend the first five years just meandering around before you decide this is what the big bad of the next, you know, series of movies is like build to it and I mean, drop like small hints. I'm no Hollywood expert, but I would think that 
Marvel has a little bit of wiggle room with Disney right now to do whatever the fuck they want to do. I'm sure. So, uh, yes, you're right. If you're going to sit down and start doing a new saga, I would think you would sit down with a purpose of why are we doing this movie and what's that building toward? How is that building towards these things? Right. Um, just like a writer's room on a television show, you break it down, you know, and build it over time and you follow a vision. And I would think Disney would at this point with the amount of money that's been made and the amount of money that will continue to be made off these movies for quite a while, unless it really falls apart, they would just let them do that. But, um, I mean, honestly, you have, but I don't even know who's running it now. Uh, Is Feig not still? Well, he's still, yeah, but I mean, I mean, the Russos have been. I guess approached about continuing on. Yeah, which they're not, from what I understand. No, they said that they would. They're they would do it. They would do right if it was like Doom, right? Right. So now you have the ability to introduce Latveria as a place, like early on. You don't even have to. It's just the way they did Wakanda was perfect. You know, you introduce Wakanda as just this place. Mm -hmm. Don't introduce Black Panther at first. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to bring Doctor Doom in, but if you build awareness of these things early then you can build into something fantastic and honestly dr doom could overlap with galactus you know there's things you could do because doom touches fantastic four and the avengers and galactus touches the avengers and you know you can introduce silver surfer in a guardians movie or in this eternals movie that's going to come out in a couple years like all these things could be purposeful but i don't want to see like venom 2 is greenlit and is now considered part of the next saga and venom Terrible movie. Um, really? It's considered part of the next? I mean, it's listed in, like, mm. the list. I mean, Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I saw it in a list of, like, upcoming MCU movies. Because hmm. um, Spider-Man... I thought Sony still had that for some reason. They do, but the Sony... I, I mean, I don't know if the Sony movies are necessarily canon, but... Yeah. Venom's obviously a character. And that Venom movie is awful. Yeah, so. I think that's still separate from the MCU. <clears throat> I, but I, I, and I really hope it's still separate. You're going to have to bring Venom and Spider-Man together at some point. I would think. At some point. And we'll what's see. his name? Tom Holland, right? Um, yeah. Fantastic as Spider-Man. Like, I'm super excited for... Uh, I'll be honest. Far From Home. I think they can... I think they're fine without introducing Venom into the Spider-Man movies. Like, I I think that's a little... So, but this is a thing that's... Played out me. at this point, considering they keep doing that over and over again. The thing that scares me is that... Do they have the restraint to not put one of the most popular, you know, anti-heroes into a movie, you know, into this universe. It's like, I'm kind of afraid of being introduced to Wolverine again or Cyclops or like any of those popular X-Men. Like, I don't know if they have the restraint to do it right. And I think part of the thing that it kind of like crept up on them, the popularity of these characters and the fact that you could make so much money making a movie about Captain America or Thor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they had their missteps. Like, Dark World's terrible movie. Because they just didn't know what to do, I don't think. Yeah. And you just can't... Like, I don't think you can let that happen. I think you have to maintain this level of quality. And just do do movies that make sense. Alright. So, well, now that you've brought that up, let's go ahead and move on to talking about... I had asked you what your top five uh, best and top five worst movies are, and, and you I developed... Cheated. Yeah, and you did what? So I did a top seven and a bottom three, so okay. that way it's still ten movies. Hey, it's your world. Go ahead. <clears throat> but, um... <clears throat> you want to do the, the worst first? Sure. Yeah. So, my, my three worst 
Two of them, I think, are objectively bad movies. Yeah. One of them, I think, is a movie that has some really, really great moments and ideas that's handicapped by really bad writing and really bad ideology. And the two movies that I think are, like, legitimately terrible movies are Iron Man 3, which to me serves absolutely no purpose as growth for Tony Stark or advancing any ideas in this Marvel universe. I think he was just contractually obligated to do three and they just wanted to get it out. Um, And Thor Dark World, which again, to me, Thor Dark World serves more purpose for like two scenes in season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. than it does to (laughs) anything else in the Marvel universe. Right. That's the one that I hate. That's the one that I absolutely because hate. Because that's objectively World. a really bad movie. It's terrible. Right. Like, I, I remember, like, sitting there watching it. I was watching it here, actually, on tele, like, for the first time. And I remember sitting here, and I think I was texting you. I was like, Probably. what the hell is happening? Yeah, because Brandy fell asleep, I think, when we were watching because it was that bad. And I'm just, like, sitting there texting you, like, what the hell is going on in this story? Like, X happened, and then Y happened, and there's no fucking reason why any right. of this should be going on. And there's plot holes, and there's jumps, and there's, like, shit's been cut out, you can tell. So, here's my theory on those two movies. Yeah. So, Dark World and Iron Man 3 are back-to-back in the same year. They are. And it's after the Avengers, but before Winter Soldier. Right. And you don't like Winter Soldier either, so we'll, I don't. We'll, we'll put that in there as well. Yeah. So, I think they were still on the fence of how do we bring all this together. And I think mm-hmm. part of that problem is Whedon, honestly. Like, what do we do? So, they didn't make... They hadn't gotten it in their head yet that they have to make movies that matter in the overall narrative. So they just like, well, we got Hemsworth for a three-picture deal. Let's do this. And they just like rushed it out. And we got, you know, Downey has to make a third Iron Man. Let's do this. And we got to make a sequel to Captain America because Captain America made so much money. That all makes sense, yeah. So, again, I think that they just hadn't realized how important building that narrative was i don't even know if they realized that they were doing the infinity saga at that point yet right like because you're still leading up into age of ultron at that point so you don't even know that you're going to have to do you know there was references to the infinity gems though in earlier movies right See, i don't think so i'm pretty sure there were did they call them infinity gems no but i think it was pretty obvious what they were though no it's true but i don't think the first i think the first time the reference is an infinity stone is in guardians of the galaxy Right, I think that's where they finally are confirmed, but right. there's references, it's obvious they're Infinity Stones, like, in those, uh, like, uh, whatever they call them, like, the tags, like, after the credits. Yeah, maybe. Like, there's stuff with them, obviously, being Infinity Stones. Um, well, the Tesseract was the Cosmic Cube, which I guess right. is an Infinity yeah, Stone, yeah. but... Right. Um, so anyway, so they're just, neither of them make any sense in the overall... Grand scheme of things, they're both completely... You could take both of those movies out of the canon and make it a 20-movie series, and nothing changes from all of it. And you could say that about Incredible Hulk as well, but I don't necessarily hold anything against Incredible Hulk, because literally the second movie that you make, before it even is anything of like the MCU at all, it's just the second Marvel movie in that year. Sure. And trying to figure out what they're going to do, like, that's fine with me. Um... I like Winter Soldier more than you because I really like the three days of the Condor parallax view feel of like the government intrigue and, 
you know, like the spy element of all of it. And <clears throat> I think the ending is really well done. Like the fight between him and um, him and Bucky at the end is really good. Um, I don't know. It's just to me, it's I, this is going to sound stupid, maybe, but it, whether it physically was or not, when I think back on that movie, it feels like it's blue. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of blue in that movie. Was there? Because mm-hmm. a lot of things they do takes place like there's like a lot of subterfuge. So they're like at night or they're sneaking around or. But even during the day, like the car, like the stuff with like they're out in the streets and like, you know, Winter Soldier's firing like on crowds and Captain's trying to chase him down and everything. You're talking about like, the stuff that takes place in like Poland or Russia or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's like that feels very blue to me blue, even. Blue gray. Yeah. It's and it's like. That kind of like dourness pervaded that movie to me, to where any of the action just felt like yo. I just not like the tone of that movie. Yeah, I guess see, is I, what I'm saying. Like, to me, like I, it's weird because like you're usually like a fan of I am the spy action movies. Like I, I just like the fact that again, I think it's part of the idea that they didn't know necessarily where they were going. And I think maybe at some point they really thought they were going to do the death of Captain America in the Civil War. And that's what that was leading into, you know, was this idea that maybe Bucky is able to be redeemed and maybe we're going to kill Captain America. So maybe if Whedon would have stayed with it, maybe Captain America died. I mean, I would also say that Scarlett Johansson sucking the life out of like every scene she in also probably contributes to that movie. Being uh, poor board. Scarlett Johansson. Um, I don't I don't agree with that, but you might be right. I don't know. Um, so my third least favorite movie is uh, Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I think Captain Marvel is a really uneven movie. Um, I think a lot of it, from a narrative standpoint, doesn't make any sense. The thing that bothers me the most about Captain Marvel is the reason that Captain Marvel comes out this year is to set up her as the ultimate force of power for the good guys to lead into infinity war and Endgame more than infinity war well 100 percent, she's not even in infinity war so to lead to her you know being this ultimate badass so in order to do that you know and they take the carol danvers character and they started out fantastic so you haven't seen captain marvel right yeah it's the one out of the 22 that i have not seen yeah um, so it starts out fantastic. Like the opening scene, um, is her with the Kree, like fighting this contingent of scrolls. Mm-hmm. really well done, really well paced, shows her powers without like, I incredibly bold. I thought to start almost like media res in her story and not bog you down with like, Oh, here's her origin. It's this really long thing. And the idea that they show you bits of her origin throughout the course of the movie and you don't even know her origin until the last 20 minutes like you don't really know incredibly like daring to do that in a modern superhero movie because no other superhero movie has ever allowed itself to like forgo the origin as being like the first hour and a half of like a movie which is one of the things that kills a lot of those the momentum in a lot of those movies is you don't really get excited until you know, they've bored you for an hour with like, oh, where, what are my powers? What am I supposed to do? Sure. The problem with it is that they use Nick Fury and Agent Coulson as the two, two of the supporting characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
granted, this is like a much younger Nick Fury, a much younger Agent Coulson. Like both of them are sort of neophytes at S.H.I.E.L.D., but they make them bumbling idiots. Like, and not even that they're just normal people who don't have access to this alien technology and are just using the technology of like man and are confronted with like this almost like alien goddess that has all these powers. Like Nick Fury spends the movie chasing a cat, you know, around Mm -hmm. and Coulson is just dumb. Like it's just these characters that they've built up over the past 11 years and Fury in particular as being this badass secret agent that can manipulate gods into doing whatever he wants through his guile and his machinations and helps bring down an entire evil organization that's infiltrated the top levels of government is this boob Mm -hmm. like in his career like was an idiot and it's it's not that they do it because they try and make it funny but they do it because they want you to realize how powerful Captain Marvel is mm-hmm. at the expense of the other characters. And it really bothers me because you don't need to do that. Like, you realize how powerful Captain Marvel is 15 minutes into her movie. And I'm telling you, like, I was super into that movie for the first half hour. Like, I was really excited about what was happening and this idea that maybe she's not who she seems and this idea that, you know maybe her powers aren't fully realized and she's being controlled somehow. Like it's a really good setup. And then once you bring her to earth, it just becomes about number one. It, it just loses itself for about like 35 minutes in the middle of the movie. And it's her like taking this road trip to find to try and find out who she is. And it's just got some really dumb fight scenes in it and some really dumb, like jokey one-liner dialogues and, Oh, let's show a blockbuster. Let's show like MTV. You know what I mean? Like, oh right, because it's set in the nineties. Right. Let's right, play Nine right. Inch Nails. Sure. She's like, okay, like I get it. Like it's the nineties. Right. And then when they get to the end, you know, you bring down. So they have the fight. Um, Jude Law or whatever is the turns out to be the main bad guy, and she kicks his ass, which is fine. Like all that fight scene is well done, and it's it's fun and it's exciting. Um, except for the fact that like everyone else is basically incompetent that she's like around and then you have Ronan the accuser come in in his giant like world destroying like armada and she flies up and like looks at him and he turns tail and runs and in doing so you basically invalidate like the entire first guardians of the galaxy movie because here's this guy that's not afraid of anything but he's afraid of this person who's only just been introduced right and I don't know. Like, there's so much about it that just feels like a misstep, and it feels like, again, it feels pandering in a lot of ways. Like, she she can be the most powerful person without denigrating everyone else around her. Like, in some ways, when someone is the most powerful and the people around her also are powerful, like, it sort of elevates that person that's the most powerful to, like, make you realize, like, how impressive they are like when everyone around you a bumbling idiot it's not too hard to be the best you know what i mean and a lot of that stuff really bothers me and what i was saying last night about like the idea of like professional wrestling booking is like it's it's the same shit it's like you know if you have like a somebody who's like a a good guy who's beat a bad guy and then you have this other good guy come in 
and he can just beat that bad guy in a minute as right. opposed to 20 minutes for the other good guy. You just shit on the other good guy at that point. Like, right. I mean, it's the same stuff, you know, and that's exactly what you're describing. And that's why WWE's ratings are in the tank right now. It's because they've been doing that for five years. Right. Like, and people, people really like Captain Marvel, yeah. I know. And like, again, there's parts of that movie that are, there's segments of that movie that rank among the best that Marvel's done in any movie. And really, the first 35 minutes of that movie are so impressive and so exciting in the fact that they're willing to take that chance. That, like, I was so bummed in the middle of that movie when I was like, man, this is so bad. Mm. Like, where did they lose this, like, daringness? Like, where did they lose this drive? And by the time you get to the end, where you're actually, like you know supposed to be excited again like it just kind of becomes lame so i don't know like i was really disappointed I, so my only exposure to captain marvel was in endgame itself and without having seen that movie i felt similarly in the idea of captain marvel showing up out of nowhere and making three zigzags through thanos's ship and just taking it out and i thought jesus like this character so damn powerful it like invalidates most of the mcu at this point but then she ends up being on the ground and right she's carrying the gauntlet and thanos basically punches her yeah and just like takes her out like for well 30 seconds or something like that like you know she ends up being there like to hold him while you know right everything happens but still like it's like i don't know so now you've, to me, you've ridden yourself into a corner with this character who uh, it's like, it seems like I can equate to some degree with Superman, where she's going to have to always be off world doing other shit, which they've already prefaced. They And they do that in um, her movie as well. Do they? And they do it in Endgame, where it's like, now they set themselves up in this, with this pro- problematic situation where she's always going to have to be off world dealing with other shit so that there can be, you know, a fight like that has consequences right. on earth. But you always know that there's that backup. So you're always just waiting for Captain Marvel to show up and save the fucking day. Yeah. And honestly, even seeing Captain Marvel's movie, it doesn't really change anything about like what you just said about her appearance mm. in Endgame and what you feel about that. Mm. I mean, like so they're doing that Eternals movie. And maybe if you put her in the Eternals movie, in some capacity, it can make sense because then you're fighting a galact, like a, a cosmic threat that's more powerful right. than right. anything you can imagine or whatever. And so maybe that's fine. But even then, that's just kind of boring. Right. Like, it's why Superman is just kind of a boring sure. character because yeah. when the character is like this unkillable, like superhuman monster, you know, even if they're on the side of good, like, where's the interest in that? Right. Like, I'm not a huge Batman fan, but at least you know that Batman can be killed. You know sure. that Batman can be beaten. So Batman using his brain and his detective skills in conjunction with his, like, fighting skills to yeah. get out of situations right. is much more interesting than Superman just, like, finally getting over his ennui and deciding he's going to, like, beat right. the shit out of something, yeah. you know? Agree. So, I don't know. All right, so what are your top five... Or, top sorry, seven. top seven. Right. Sorry, I forgot about your cheat. <clears throat> um, do you want them in reverse order or... Seven to one, yeah, like we... Uh, so... Like we do every week, yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is, this is a normal podcast. Um, Guardians 2 is my number seven. Okay. Um, I think Guardians 2 is 
a good mix of fun and action-packed and incredibly poignant. You know, I mean, makes end of that movie makes me tear up the couple times I've seen it. Um, really great character arcs for characters that have been established in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Builds on, like, those relationships. Um, sets up the Gamora and Star-Lord thing, which makes, you know, what happens in Infinity War, like, heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, just a really great, fun movie. Great. Um, the Yondu stuff is all fantastic. The Mary Poppins. And oh yeah, I, I yeah I teared up like a motherfucker. Yeah, like, them, the Yondu stuff at the end. Yeah. Right, it's it's just really really yeah. well done. Um, my six is a uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. Um, maybe my favorite origin story movie mm-hmm. in the sense that it doesn't get bogged down in the idea that it is an origin story. Um, really good use of. Iron Man as like a secondary character, mentor figure, while still not ever taking it away from being about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man. I think he does an amazing job. Um, just really fun. You know, Michael Keaton is a really good villain as Vulture right. and someone that feels small enough that like it makes sense that he's the first his first adversary that he's like kind of learning to fight against mm-hmm. but still feels powerful enough where he feels like he's a threat right so it's not like that early mcu problem where it's like oh whiplash this guy like on this racetrack and right. then he's beaten right. you know like it it's like it, it makes sense that like he's the villain yeah um whiplash terrible yeah it's good, like, and it, it establishes really good like interpersonal relationships with, you know, his best friend, sure. with yeah. Mary Jane, with, you know, his aunt. Um, and I love uh, Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think no, that's I a agree. great... I agree. I think fantastic. Holland's best Spider-Man they've had yeah. so far. Like, um, My number five is Black Panther. And yeah. five through one are all, like, pretty close to being, like, the same for me. Yeah. Um, I love Black Panther. Yeah. I think it's... Again, like, for being... A character's first standalone movie i really really like the fact that they don't beat you over the head with any kind of origin like mm-hmm. everything that happens it's a natural progression of the narrative of that movie sure because the actual plot of the movie is tied into the past so it's right they can they can kind of give you little pieces throughout and it feels natural right without beating you over the head right. with like this is the origin of the great right. you know t'challa or and really it's giving background to the origin of the character and the concept right. because like, we were talking about the other night there are he's already introduced at this point in civil war and right. wakanda's introduced so you don't have to do like the 20 minutes of who's this character and what's this world you already kind of if you are following the movies know it sure it's more about the background itself but of, it also like gives you a nice round introduction to like wakandan politics without like right. logging it down yeah and Really great supporting performances, you know, um, what is it, Lupita, and I can't say her last name, like I, yeah, I, uh-huh. um, as a love interest, but right, that's yeah. not like, just like a token love interest, right, an actual yeah. like important part of the movie, so this is, this goes, this is my example of like how to do, I was gonna say it, if you, you do, know, female yeah. characters correctly, if, if you're that concerned about like elevating female characters to a higher stature, Suri um i can't remember the other two's names the bodyguard mm-hmm. and the love interest the, the the princess the queen right yeah are all their own powerful characters in their own right 
Diverse personalities, right. don't, skills. Don't rely right. on Black Panther to save them. Absolutely. He relies on them more. They, they're like teammates, more or less. Mm-hmm. They all have like their own incredible strengths. And all three of them contribute to the victory at the end. Which makes it that much more poignant when Black Panther is, you know, fighting um, Killmonger and beats him. That it wasn't just him like coming to save the day that it was this group effort and the fact that they you know like along with the um the mountain gorilla guys like you know mm-hmm. they beat this revolution in yeah. in their country like it's just so well done yeah. really fun sure really fast paced the two coda scenes at the end are like mm-hmm. nice and brief and yeah. you know the one builds into like the whole wakanda becoming part of the world right. and the other one builds into bucky being rehabilitated and they work really well. Um, I don't know. It's just it's a really good movie. Uh, Michael Jordan as um that's yeah, his yeah. name right Michael it is. Michael, Michael B. Jordan yeah as Killmonger does a fantastic job like almost unrecognizable from you know being the little kid <laughs> little skinny Wallace right, yeah little Wallace um, yeah, on the wire like the perfect blend of like irreverence and like internal fury and social injustice but. That's just a mask for the fact that he just wants revenge on the fact yeah. that he wasn't allowed to have like yeah. a childhood, basically. Um, just really good movie. Like I yeah. like that movie a lot. And Martin Freeman, fantastic as um, yeah, yeah. And I, I and I, I just thought from a directorial standpoint that it was, it was just different. Like the 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 tone was different. It was good pacing all the way through. The directorial choices were just slightly different than other Marvel movies made, made it feel unique, which it should yeah, have. It definitely feels fresh. It does. Like even like uh, the South Korean sequence when, um, what was his name? Claus. Yeah. Like, Claw. Uh, Claw, it's like when they go after him, it's like, even that feels unique to the world of Marvel, but it still feels yet a part of it. And I think that, it did a really good job of distinguishing itself as its own thing, but a part of a whole. So here's my one nitpick with that movie is I'm really disappointed that they kill Ulysses Claw Mm. because Claw is such a, such an interesting villain in like the canon of Marvel comics in the sense of like how he's honestly like used by other villains a lot Mm -hmm. of times um, because of his power. Like they don't really like let him have that power. So it's just kind of disappointing. Um, so maybe like maybe a son later on or something. Yeah, right. But um, yeah. then my number four is uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, I love the first Ant Man. I know that like one of like the lesser grossing Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was a fantastic introduction to a character that felt connected in a world like what I think that Agents of Shield and the MCU Netflix stuff tries to do. With introducing, like, a standalone while still feeling connected. Right. Like, I thought that Ant-Man did a great job of that. And mm-hmm. I think that the continuation in Ant-Man and Wasp is just... It's a fun caper movie. It's got really natural, fun, like, comedic dialogue. You know, like, his team of um, Luis and T.I. and the mm-hmm. Russian guy have, like, some, like, really, like, funny moments but they still kind of fit into the overall solution sure um i really love the dynamic between evangeline Lilly and paul rudd like i think they do a really good job together um i really like i love michael douglas as um pym um i think that coda was probably like even if you expected it was probably still pretty shocking it was yeah like seeing them like Uh turn into dust um and in all 
like full disclosure, this is the last Marvel movie I've seen. Right. Like, yeah. This was the one that I had not seen yet. Um, cause I had broken my leg last year when it came out. So I never had the chance. Um, but just a really good movie, really fun. Um, f- felt like the stakes were appropriately high for the situation. Um, and one of the best, vi- like combinations of villains where ghosts, feels like a legitimate threat and Walton Goggins does not feel like a legitimate threat, but Walton Goggins is such like a slimy opportunist that he's right. always like getting over on him. And it's just, it's such a fun performance. Walton Goggins is amazing and everything he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty good. Um, so yeah, just a really good movie. Really fun. Um, my number three is Thor Ragnarok, um, which to me is the best, standalone hero movie. I mean, I know that Hulk is in it and they introduced Valkyrie mm-hmm. in that movie, right. but still it's Thor's movie and just the stakes feel really high. I love the sense of humor in it. Like I think Jeff Goldblum is amazing. in yes. it. I love that whole sequence when they're on the collector's world and then it moves into like this greater, you know, him going back and trying to reclaim Asgard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Hela is, one of the best villains that they've had in the series. Maybe my favorite villain next to Thanos, Mm -hmm. I think just because she feels like dangerous and like she could actually win in a lot of it. And I didn't look at the, I didn't watch the credits, I guess I didn't pay attention for about 35 minutes or so. I didn't know that was Kate Blanchett. I had no idea. None. I thought she was like completely unrecognizable. Oh, yeah, 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 I thought she was completely unrecognizable. She was completely unrecognizable yeah. to me, and I thought that it was somebody that was at least like fifteen years younger playing her. And I was like, "Who the hell is this?" And right. No, but just it's a fantastic movie, and yeah, she's great in it. Yeah. They're all really great in it. Like I, yeah. as much as I love, I love the humor of Thor. I I, I like Ant Man's humor that you were talking about. Like I like because it's natural to that world, right? But I also think that my I think my favorite humor is like probably the Thor right humor and, a lot of times. So I was never a huge fan of Thor as a kid. Uh-huh. Like to me, I looked at Thor in the same way that I think a lot of people maybe look at Superman, mm-hmm. which is like okay, like this is a god, like you can't beat him, and they can like his powers are like his powers are his powers, but his strength level is mutable enough where. They could make him beat anybody if they want to. And I guess that's true for any comic. But, like, I love the almost, like, party boy hippie, like, aspect of Thor. Mm -hmm. Like, that being, like, his character. And the fact that they kind of carry that through, like, those scenes. And when he's just, like, this pot-bellied, beard, like, grizzled guy, like, drinking beer and playing Xbox. Like, that's that's amazing. Like, that's such a great... Mm-hmm. great character arc and mm-hmm. you know there's really nothing that i disliked about ragnarok and i thought it was an incredibly well-paced fun movie that carried me through the entire time yeah um my number two is endgame uh i think that endgame is again like an amazing achievement like we've already talked about it um it's just those small things that kind of keep it for me from being like my number one um my number one movie is a. Uh, Civil War. Yeah. Um, I honestly think that Civil War is the best ensemble Avengers movie. 
um, for not actually being a quote-unquote Avengers movie, but right. bringing all those characters together on opposite sides of the field and making it feel earned, kind of, and making those stakes feel high where, like, you can... I mean, you know, being, like, a pretty liberal person, like, I really disagree with, like, Tony's take on mm. everything, but you can understand Tony's take on it, and... Mm. You can sympathize with Captain America, even though, like, it's made, like, you feel, like, the entire time, like, maybe he's just taking it too far. Like, maybe you should just give in a little bit and then try and subvert it from the inside. Right. Like, all of those things, it's, thematically, it's really complex. It's a really great introduction to Black Panther. You know, it's a really great introduction to Spider-Man, like, within that universe. Like, all of those things are really well done. It uses all the characters to great effect. You know, there's the the fight scene on the tarmac is just, I don't know, it's just, it's it's a really great, great scene. And I think it's really well paced. I think that at the end, you know, you, it's almost like, like Empire Strikes Back in a lot of ways in the way that it ends, where like everybody is just kind of like apart and broken and you don't know how they're going to come back together, even though you know that they eventually will. And I think that it's the perfect lead-in to the, the end of those characters' run, is to leave them in that position and see how they can strengthen themselves and grow, you know, from being in that position. And, I don't know, it's, it's got, like, a really good sense of humor to it, but it doesn't let the humor overtake the seriousness of, you know, the end fight. Like, it makes sense that Tony wants to kill Winter Soldier, like, it feels earned, that anger and that need for revenge. You understand exactly why Cap feels the need to protect his friend. I mean, it's just, it's really good, and I don't know, just... Yeah, it ranks up really high for me, too. I'm not sure if I would put it number one. I actually haven't considered that because I let you do that, but, um... But yeah, it, it is a really good movie, and now that I'm thinking about it, the Russos did that one, too, right? Uh, yeah, Didn't I think they? so. That, yeah, that's their that, first. That's... That's the reboot from Ultron, I just realized. Yeah. Like, they don't call it an Avengers movie out of the some respect, but really it's like that movie right. is what ends up leading to all the events. What, like, what Ultron should have been. Right. Is something like they that. Just, they just basically erase Whedon's movie and just... Well, they don't what, because they, they, they have enough deference where sure. they make Whedon's movie... Mean something. It matters to the overall yeah, story, it's, but... It's, it's the catalyst that right. causes civil war. Yeah. But it just completely reinvents those characters and makes you really care about them, I think, and humanizes them in a lot of ways and really builds into that end. So here's end my run. question, and I haven't done any research on this. I probably should have, but it makes me think that they took it away from Whedon is what Maybe. they ended up doing. Is Whedon was probably going to end up building something with Ultron through to a, the third phase. And they kind of snatched it away. That might be true. I mean, that'd be really boring. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not saying Ultron be the end villain. I'm just saying that, like, through that Ultron stuff, it was going to lead to his take on. Well, how no. To so do... I honestly think they were going to do Civil War as the entire third arc. Mm. Like, I think they were going to lead into the death of Captain America and making Tony a villain, basically, mm. like they did in the comics. Right. Yeah. And that would have been the mistake. Yeah. Like. Building into the Infinity, um, Infinity Gauntlet saga, like that was right. the right thing to do, right? Um, but yeah, like I, I honestly, I, I don't know if forced, 
But when you read about it, like, he claims that he just decided he wanted to do television instead. Yeah. And then kind of has terminated his relationship with Marvel. Right. Um, yeah. And whatever, he created Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a fine show. Yeah. In its own right. Um, But definitely, like, allowing it to grow in the way that it did was the right decision. Yeah. So. I agree. So... I never ask you this, and we've never actually talked about this, so you don't really rate movies ever or anything like that. Like, you don't, we've never done like a five star scale or four star scale or 10 at 10 out of 10. We've never done any yeah, of that. Yeah, I'm not really before. into that. But like, roughly, which whatever scale you want to use, just as an indicator for the overall saga, how would you rank it? From Iron Man through Endgame, yeah, B plus, yeah. I think I I think I think it's a C plus, B minus, and then A to A plus, and then all just together. It's like if you had to watch them from start to finish, it's B plus. Yeah, okay. I think there's enough like down notes where it detracts enough from the overall experience. So, do you think that's one of the more impressive feats in film history? I think it's the most impressive. You think so? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like, just in terms of like scale and execution. I mean, mm. like, look how fractured the Star Wars saga is, and that's the only thing that's even comparable. And right. that's even if you take like the offshoots and stuff, half the number of movies. You know, by the time we see, um, what's the fucking name of that last movie? The Last Skywalker or something like that? Rise of the Skywalker? Rise of the Skywalker. Anyway, once that movie comes out, you'll have had 11, right? Total? With all nine, and then Rogue One and Solo? Oh, fuck. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. I forgot those existed. No, that's fine. Um, I still don't count those as part so of So, still, like, yeah. like... 40 years in the making to get to that point 42 years and half the number of movies and i would say that a quarter of those are objectively not that good so i don't know like that's the closest thing to it right nothing else is like that you know i mean there's even like for the like for the superhero genre it's set a standard that maybe nothing else can match. Like DC has scrambled to try and reach that standard and has made (laughs) one objectively good movie, a couple of questionably mediocre movies, and then just a bunch of shit. Yeah. So you're talking about wonder woman. Wonder woman is objectively good. Right. I think agreed. And I would argue that Batman versus Superman and Aquaman are questionably good to mediocre, but watchable. And I don't think because the only thing I've seen besides Wonder Woman is that damn Justice League I was telling you about. I just watched on a whim because now you got me watching stupid shit. Like, um, and I watched on a whim a few weeks ago, and um, man, that was really that was fucking terrible. But it's really bad. So they panicked, but they panicked and didn't have the courage of their convictions to say, you know what, we're gonna do this right. They're like, fuck. We got to catch up, so let's rush a bunch, rush a bunch of shit out, right. tie up a bunch of things that don't necessarily tie together, yeah. and just shit this movie out. And now they're going to like recast like crazy, apparently, oh, yeah. for all kinds of other stuff. Right? It's awful. Which yeah, I mean, which is, is Robert, the problem with Robert Pattinson is um, Batman. Oh Jesus Christ! 
I don't, I don't mind that. It's fine. It's real. I mean, who cares? Who, who fucking cares? I don't care about like. There's some movie though that Pattinson just did that like it was just a con that they're talking Oscar buzz for him, which I can't remember who he starred with. It's both actors are talking. I heard about the Oscars and I can't remember what that is. So maybe he has something more than what I think. But <laughs> I I read DC Comics less than Marvel Comics when I was a kid, but yeah. I still have a great amount of affection for some of these characters. Sure. Like I really like I love Green Lantern. Yeah. Green Lantern is one of my favorite comic book characters. I love that Justice League animated series you told me right, to watch really years good. ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the Batman animated series is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's just that there's good things about um, Nolan's Batman, but that's the problem. And that was the problem with Marvel before they decided we're just going to do it right. The exact same problem yep. is that DC will just like shit out a movie every couple of years and nobody cares, right? And just recast and they set that precedent. Yeah, and just so. reboot it. Yep. And mostly with Batman, because in all honesty, Batman's their most recognizable and popular character. Yeah. Like, really, you're not going to make... That That Green Lantern movie is an abomination from, like, seven <laughs> or eight years ago. Um, and at least Ryan Reynolds admits and, like, makes fun of that. But, you know, just... it it's It's like... You can tell these are people making movies that have no sense of what the comic characters actually mean... Or what their value is. And you actually feel in the MCU that those creators know those characters. You know what I mean? Yep. Like in the X-Men movies, which I think are hit or miss. You know, and I kind of like the first class reboot. But the last one of that is really bad. The Age of Apocalypse one. Not even really bad. Just really forgettable. Um, It's just you always feel like they don't understand how cool the characters they have are. Right. You know? Yeah. And honestly, like, Logan, one of my favorite superhero movies of all time, I think Logan is an amazing movie, but completely outside of the canon of anything that they've done before. Right. Except for having the same characters and ends all those characters. But it's fantastic. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. But you could never go back to it because... Sure. You're going to need to use Wolverine at some point. You're going to need to have Professor X in a movie. Yeah. Even, like, X-23, you know, you need to have in a movie. Man, that movie's really good. Okay. So, a couple of lingering questions here. Do you think Thor shows back up in any of these movies? Yeah, I think Thor is a, is a main character in Guardians. You think so? Yeah. yeah. At least the next movie. Do you think he's maybe, like, I think he's set up at least to recur if if he wants to throughout the next saga, I would think. Right? It's, it's hard to take someone that is legitimately, I mean, I know that they haven't made them gods you know, mm-hmm. they've removed that. But they're immortal aliens, basically. Right. And it's yeah. kind of hard to take an immortal alien and <clears throat> get rid of them unless you're going to kill them. Right. And I think that because of the way they've built Thor's character as being that jovial, you know, kind of like cocksure, arrogant but still lovable guy, like, it's kind of hard to kill that off. So we know Downey Jr. is done. We know that Chris Evans is done, like, right. officially. Um, we know Scarlett Johansson's not that she's going to end up having a Black Widow movie that they're saying is a prequel. Which... I, I honestly think it will be. You think so? I think it's going to be like her time as a spy and yeah, it's going to yeah. deal with like Hydra and shit like I that. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a second. Actually, um, maybe like, what's the other one? AIM, maybe they'll introduce through her, which would be a good idea. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm convinced she's they're going to bring her back with Gamora, like at some point, like through the reversal of that kind of stuff. And that's what Guardians will be about is trying to reverse Gamora's death and 
because it's mystical when they reverse her death. Oh, reverse. maybe because of something with the soul stone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, also with all the... But they're going to say it's prequel now for kayfabe reasons and then like at some point like... Maybe. I, I, I don't yeah. agree with that. I think it really is just going to be a yeah. prequel. Um, but with the whole like intersecting timelines and alternate universes now that they've established, yeah. there's nothing that says you can't bring anyone back. Sure, sure. Um, what do you think? And this is tangentially related to Avengers, but I'm interested in what you think. What do you think Robert Downey Jr.'s career path is now? Because, and I'll frame it this way: this is a guy who at one point is considered the next great American actor, I think, right. especially around the time of Chaplin and stuff sure. like that. And the addiction kind of takes over. I mean, but he has a number of roles even around that time, like when the addiction's like, you know, really starting full force, like natural, like his role was, uh, was, it was a Wayne and is that the journalist's name? Natural born mm-hmm. killers. Natural like, born killers. and it's like, he has like all these roles that, you know, he's so good in it's obvious like there's like slow build to like him becoming probably the biggest star in the country, which I guess Depp takes over for a while and you know, I mean there's other As actors. A box that, office draw, sure. Yeah. And um and is a respected, I think, critically respected actor as well. To a point, and, yeah. And until it fell apart on him. Sure, sure. Yeah, right. Um But then that happens, and he ends up, you know, kind of floundering for a while. Kind of starts coming back by picking things that he likes. Right. That tend towards a little bit more towards comedy suddenly than drama all kiss, the time. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Where kiss, kiss, bang, bang, yeah, is one of the first things that comes to mind. And then he d- takes Iron Man, and now he's been involved with this for 11 years. Right. And... He now is the biggest box office star in the history of the world. Right. With all those movies that he's been in. That's, you know. What the hell do you think he does from here on out? So that's an interesting question. And it's like. Like, Does he fulfill? Like, does he go back to draw? Like, two questions. What, What do you think happens? And can he not be Tony Stark? Well, he's already shown during this run that he cannot be Tony Stark because he played, um. Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. and that was middle of sure all of this. I think yeah. maybe even after Iron Man. Yeah, I want to say maybe. I, I'm going to estimate 09 was the first one, and then like... It was when I was working thir- on this. 13 or 14 was the second one. Yeah, but he's like he's done that. Um, <laughs> and he has a third one coming out. My hope is that he is able to pick and choose projects that he actually cares about mm-hmm. um, and do important roles and sort of transition in a way that like a lot of these other guys haven't been able to um maybe tom hanks is like the closest analogy to that is somebody that was like a huge box office draw that was just able to pick movies that he wanted to be in and not necessarily be forced to take you know big blockbuster movies Mm -hmm. my fear is that once you're on that pay scale like can you take small movies like do you immediately blow up the budget like, will the Screen Actors Guild let him work for scale? You know what I mean? Like, right. like I don't know how the politics or economics of that work. I don't know that he's necessarily an action star or needs to be in these giant movies anymore. Like, I think that he was perfect as Tony Stark 
because his natural personality encapsulates Tony Stark in the comics. Like, it's almost like the perfect analogy to that character in the comic book world is the guy that's battled addiction, the guy that's battled self-doubt. You know, I mean, that's Tony Stark in the comics, and that's Robert Downey Jr. in real life, and he brings all that. Right. But... I don't know. I mean, I I really would like to see him do some small movies again. You know, I'd like to see him in, like, some dramatic stuff. I'd like to see him maybe do, like, a small comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if he can. Like, I don't know what happens to him. My my fear is that he's almost like Tom Cruise, where, like, he's kind of stuck. Like, always, like, being in these action-y big movies. And I know that Tom Cruise chooses to do that because he's crazy, but... yeah. Do you think he, do you think after everything and I, like, I know you don't have any inside knowledge at all, but it's like, just from your perception, like, do you think he would be even be capable now of be fulfilling what was kind of that destiny at a young age? Yeah. You see it in Zodiac, I think. Yeah. Like you watch him in Zodiac and that's a very, very specifically measured performance that while it's not a main character role, fulfills like a large portion of what that movie needs and is really good yeah. overall. And I, I think he can do that. Yeah. I don't think he ever lost it. I think you see it in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang too. Yeah. I think you see it honestly throughout these Marvel movies that yeah. he makes really good choices in his mm-hmm. comedic time oh, and his delivery. Yeah, yeah. Um, where yeah. you really care about Tony Stark as right. a character, even sure. when you're disagreeing completely yeah. with his... No. decisions or motivations agreed and again like that's part of why this is such an impressive feat is hemsworth evans downey jr um you know the guardians characters to a lesser extent mm-hmm. um paul rudd like all these people what's his name the guy that plays hawkeye john renner jeremy renner mm-hmm. have built characters that you immediately recognize you have like personal attachments to, and they've carried those characters throughout, you know, almost two dozen movies. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And able to yeah. jump in and out of each other's movies. And I right. think that if Downey can do that and like move into other roles, I think that that's, yeah. I think that's good. I just hope he doesn't get stuck in something like some terrible franchise that they try and build around him because they want to capitalize on this Iron Man success that then is going to fail. Right. Or that it turns in, like, at least he didn't turn into fucking Jack Sparrow. You know what I mean? Where it was like, sure, like, man, Pirates of the Caribbean, such a breath of fresh air. Like, can't believe a big blo- big budget summer movie has as much personality. Like, oh my God, like, get the fuck off the screen, Johnny Depp. Like, what the fuck? Nobody cares about Jack Sparrow. In the span of, like, two movies. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, re- I remember. I lived through it. Right. It was, um... It was, the, it was it was right around the time I stopped watching movies. Like was the list was the third one. Um, yeah, that's fine. That's a good time. Yeah. Stop. Okay. Any final thoughts on this? No. I mean, I'm yeah. I've been really excited since we decided to do this a few weeks ago. Um, hard to say that. Like, I don't love these movies in the same way that I love like a lot of my favorite movies, but I have a great deal of affection for this as a series, and I think it's something where. Five years from now, ten years from now, like, I would definitely go back and watch a selection of the 22. Um, 
I've watched a few of them again just to refresh myself for this podcast and watched Ant-Man and Wasp for the first yeah. time. And I still find myself like excited and drawn into the story. And I think that's an impressive feat. And yeah. there's definitely ones that I want to watch again at some point. Yeah. Like I really want to see Civil War again now after talking about it. So right. I might go back and watch that this weekend. Yeah. And I figure we'll do this again um, when Star Wars wraps in December and probably talk about what is it, Rise of the Skywalker and um, like that whole God, thing. I have such high hopes for that movie. Yeah, I I'm just trying. I should temper that shit. You probably should really temper the, the temper yeah. it a lot, I think. But yeah, but I'm looking forward to doing that retrospective. Although I mean, we're oddballs that actually like the second. Movie, right, I think so. I think eight is good. Yeah, I do too. Um, Gotta go watch the prequels again sometime in the next like six months. So I'm really looking forward to that shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna rewatch those prequels again, probably. <laughs> right, well, I'll, I'll 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 take the bullet. So. Okay, yeah. Um. Okay, so next um, next week we will be doing, uh, or continuing rather, I suppose, the top five B-horror movies of the 80s list, which will be the year 1984, we'll list. be covering um, with sometime within the next two weeks after that, we'll be doing uh, top five docudramas. And then we're probably going to end that because uh, Frank, we're still trying to figure some things out until Frank's back in town full time. And then um, we will uh, be watching The Big Sleep with a uh, friend of the podcast, Orion Wellmaker, who uh, has a drinking game that goes along with The Big Sleep. So we'll be playing his Big Sleep uh, drinking game with him. Um during that podcast so uh that'll be a i guess a kind of like a third man type thing. right so and the fourth man is jack daniels <laughs> so um that's pretty much what we have coming up um probably uh will be more consistent again probably like sometime in like late june um in terms of i mean i think we've done pretty well so far in terms of being consistent uh, with a release schedule so far, um, despite everything, but um, we'll definitely be settled down and back to a lot of top five lists and stuff like that consistently uh, once that happens. But um, this was something different. Let us know what you think if you want to. You can email us at two guys five movies at gmail.com. This is number two and number five, two guys five movies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, our Facebook page, two guys five movies. Um, and you can listen to the podcast on any podcatcher app that you use. Uh, so thank you for listening, everybody. Please remember to like and subscribe. Um, other than that, have a good weekend and thank you for listening. Yep. Thank you very much.